Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. I paid, <clears throat> I paid my three daughters hundred dollars to be my cheerleaders. Wow. Just, just take a moment, just wave to me and smile. Let me just take a few moments and look at all of you beautiful people. Wow. First of all, I, I, do, I get very emotional. I was just getting so overwhelmed of gratitude during worship. And, and I started just to think about one simple thought. And that was, what would my life be like if it was not for Jesus? If it was not for the incarnation? If God did not love this world so much? If God didn't love you so much that he will give his only begotten son? What would my life be like and your life be like if Jesus himself was not willing to leave heaven, to leave perfection, to come down to this place, to be willing to identify with each one of us? What would this place look like? What would my life look like if Jesus was not willing to be common orphans so that you and I could become sons and daughters? To be separated from perfect love so we could be restored back again to perfect love. To become sin with our sinfulness so we can become righteous with his righteousness. To take our sickness and disease so by his stripes we are healed. And I just started to go to my gratitude list of just uh, what would my life be without Jesus. And then I was thinking about my beautiful wife, Jennifer. I love you. I've been married to this lady for almost 33 years. And uh, she knows the good, bad, and the ugly about me. And uh, she is still uh, my biggest cheerleaders. And uh, I, I can be honest to say that I, uh, without her, there's, I'm not saying that with false humility, but if I didn't have her in my life and being who she is and be the support that she's in my life, there's no way that I could do or be what I do. So could you just celebrate Jennifer for a moment for me? Thank you. It was just a little fun in regard to that. I told Chris Valentin this week, we had a, a, about an hour on, uh, we were doing a FaceTime. And then um, I also interviewed Chris. I encourage you eventually to, to capture uh, the interview because it's, uh, it, it is one of those podcasts or video podcasts. But I said, Chris, I still have something against you. I think it was the second time that I met you, you gave me a spanking. <laughs> and, and this doesn't sound good when you're doing a recording. I don't remember me ever giving you a spanking. I says, yes, you did. In Houston, Texas, I mean, I got a spanking. And, and he said, what did I do? I said, well, you said, are you taking time to love Jennifer the way that the father loves Jennifer? And it hurt. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I probably deserve some more spankings. <laughs> but uh, he disciplines the ones that he loves. And then I have my three amazing daughters and my future son-in-law. Could you stand up? Let's stand up. Wow. All the way, all the way from Norway in July, we're going to have wedding in Norway. And welcome to the family. Welcome to the Bethel family. And, uh, and, and I also have to remind my son, Leif Emanuel, meaning Leif means beloved. And then God with us and Emily, all of us as family, we're going to be together. And then uh, I just thought, and then also hus Lila's husband, Ray, is very important. He works night shift. If not, he would have also been here this morning. So, so that we all are going to be together. So just making sure that we don't forget about Ray. And then I also, I do want to honor also for, for the people here, Joe. Yeah, I do want to say he's a new personal assistant. He lives here about one third, one fourth of the time. He has a place in Colorado and a place in Kansas. So he travels a little bit. He was just with me in Pakistan. But I'm just saying that I've never met anybody that have a pure spirit and less guile 
There is no guile in him. There's only kindness. And what that has done for me, for my wife, the way that he has served us and done unconditional. I just Because I know he's going to be part of this family. I just want you from my heart to be able to recognize Joseph. So do you mind just standing up, Joe, so that people can recognize you? This is Joseph. Joseph. He is a server like my wife and my daughter. He's a two on the Enneagram. And... Uh, Uh, just also practically speaking, I, I was a little overwhelmed this morning about our spiritual family. And I mean that in a good way. I am very honored and very grateful to be part of this family. I, I do not know exactly how to be able to do what I'm going to try to do this morning with a time limit that we have, but I think I'm going to be able to put the framework. The way I'm going to operate is going to be more like an apostolic father in the way of creating a framework. So it's a little bit different than if you are just doing a teaching. And I want you to kind of follow me because it looks like I'm going to be a little bit ADHD, but what I'm doing is I'm going to give you a framework that for a whole year, that in the next year you have certain things. It's almost like you have this big table with different things on this a table and that you can choose certain things throughout the whole year that you can pick from and that you can get the nutrients. But I woke up this morning and I was thinking about both the history of this church. I remember very clearly in Noonan, uh, I got the call. It was actually Bill Johnson that called me and says, hey, my friend, uh, we're actually doing an event, Chris Vallott, Danny Silk and myself, we're doing an event with Bethel Atlanta. And he said that I couldn't remember what it was, but for some reason he couldn't come. And he says, do you mind uh, uh, coming and, and taking my place. And I said, no, it would be a great honor. So because both Chris and Danny have been good friends and we came there and that's when I met Lindy and uh, Steve and my wife and I met them. I still remember Ted's down here, Peachtree City, ended up sitting there at Ted's and realized at that moment there was an answer to our prayer. And we didn't know that we were looking or longing for a home and for a family. And uh, so as a result of that, I visited here several times, was speaking here, ministered in the school and in the middle of it when God and call us to come here. And I'm saying that with all honesty, see, I still have tears in my eyes every time I'm landing on this airport, heading towards Peachtree City, including yesterday, late last night, when I'm coming into this place. And, and I felt, first of all, just the pleasure of the Father towards this family. And, and I want you to recognize there is a pleasure of the Father towards this family. And I was just thinking about uh, Jesus. Uh, I want you to understand that Jesus... Uh, you can say that because of what he, he, he saw something, he suffered because of the joy that was set before him. And I feel like there's been this season of a suffering that many of us, there's been this place that we've been paying, and there's a new season to be playing. I want you to capture that. There was a season that we have been paying. It's been costly. It's been hard. You've had to say no to a lot of things so that you can say yes later on. But we've been in a season and be ready also for a shift in that season. But then also even I have the honor, for some of you that maybe do not know, I'm an, also an elder as part of this church, but I'm also part of the apostolic board or council of this church. So I'm part of a leadership team of this church. So I'm also speaking a little bit in behalf of that part of my heart. So as I was thinking about the, both the Steve and Lindy, the leaders and the price that they have paid for, but suddenly Lauren came to my mind because I, I have the honor meeting with a leadership team. They come to my office and we try once a month just to sit down and do life together. And they ministered to me. I had just come home from Pakistan. Actually, I had had this dark cloud for about eight weeks over me, and I didn't realize that the day came to the office, and often it's for me to minister to them, but they also ministering to me, and we had this very precious time together. And then I woke up this morning, and, and again, I felt this thing about the Lord, about Lauren, and I started to think about Papa God, about Lauren, and I don't know why, because of all the people you're thinking about, but then I started to ask Papa God, what is it that you want to say? And uh, the scripture verse that came to me, it was taken from Second uh, Kings chapter 3, I think it was, verse 11. And that was, uh, 
Jehoshaphat, the king, he was looking all over the land. Is there any authentic prophet left? Is there someone that I can trust in this season? Because the king himself, he knew there was a lot of prophets, but he was looking for some prophet that he could trust. And he said that uh, when they were looking all over the land to find a prophet, they said, there is this one person, his name is Elijah. And he is the one that washed the father's hand. And I know that sounded a little strange. That's the word I got this morning. But then I realized that when the king, and I just felt in this season, government's leadership, there's a lot of people that's going to look for leadership, and they're going to look for something. But I felt that the Lord says to you, Lord, and I, I mean, you could say, here's the one that has a double portion anointing. Here's the one that has raised people from the dead. Or here's the one, this is Elijah that, that followed his father. I mean, he, he was the prophet of the prophets. There were so many things that could be described, but it said that because of that, he washed his father's hands. And when the king recognized, not the one that could raise the dead, not the one with the greatest leadership, the best apostleship, or the best prophecy, but because he realized that, oh, he is the one that washed his father's hands. Because of that, he's going to be entrusted with everything. And I just want to, I started to cry when I saw that word this morning and it hit my spirit. And I just felt that the way that you have served, it is not just your dad. I think that's one picture, but also the leadership, the way that you have served, the way that you have washed people's hand is going to be connected to a season where you're going to be entrusted, where there is going to be, and the king represents people in government, people in leadership, in position. They're looking for something and they're wondering, who is it that we can trust? And then they will say, there is that Lauren. There's this battle family. There's this leadership team. And the reason you can trust them is just watch the way that she has washed her father's hands. So, Father, I just wanted to bless Lauren for the way that she has washed not just her father's hands and mother's hands, the team, our church, my hands. But I thank you for the way, that's the way you were seeing your daughter, Papa. A daughter that have been willing to just wash people's hand. And Father, I just thank you. I just feel indebted because you have been going low. He's going to lift you high. And I'm just going to bless you and your family. And I just heard that he says that you're going to grow in wisdom and stature, favor with God and favor with men. Luke 2.52. So I just bless you with that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give Jesus a good hand. I also wanted to thank our family. Many of you know that we were in Pakistan a couple of weeks ago. And uh, our family here, you sold $5,000 towards the project. Uh, we were going to put the video together and was not able to get the whole video together. But uh, we do have a couple of pictures. So I thought at least to give you a little summary and a little update. So just get, let's have about five, six minutes just kind of to, to celebrate some of the things that God did both in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Just, uh, I mean, overwhelmed again by God's goodness and God's favor. So let's just look at this. Uh, the first picture that is taken, you see me standing there. On the left side of me is the foreign minister. To the right side is the president of Pakistan. And then it is, the next one is the granny mom, Mulan Abdullah Khabir Assad. Then it is the finance minister. And then there's a lot of this, about 450 world leaders, uh, the ambassador of the EU, the ambassador of Vatican. The Norwegian ambassador was in this room. And it's kind of a, it's a little fun thing for me as, an, as a Norwegian, because eventually the next picture, if you see, uh, the first one, the president of Pakistan here, he gave me the International Peace Award. And I have it in the office, but what I love about it is as, as an ambassador of love. So, so the president, and it was about 40 million people that were watching on television around the world through a lot of different channels. But when this thing was presented, I had a little four or five minute speech. But I think it one of my smile, because here the Norwegian ambassador, I mean, here I am Norwegian. And he is the Norwegian ambassador. So the question from 21 countries, all these ambassadors was. So we have this dinner thing afterwards. And I can see the question, because why are you for four hours sitting with the president? 
And, and second question is during the dinner is, I mean, you are an ambassador, but which country do you represent? <laughs> and I wanted to say, well, uh, there is this king. And his name is Jesus. And there's this home, and it's called heaven. And I get to represent that heaven here on earth as an ambassador of love. There's this God that loves you so much that he will send his only begotten son. So what they have awarded me of is just that I got to represent that king and his love that is greater than hate, his light that is greater than darkness. Let's look at a couple of more pictures uh, here, just a few more. I love this also picture. This is with Alama Shafat Razul Pir, but with some of the girls. Uh, it was just one of those settings. This is right on the border of India, and we were heading there, and Joe was with me to this headquarter, and I know Catherine, my daughter, is right in here, but all these girls, I was just so broken because I knew that the sexual abuse, 80 to 90 percent, I was reading of small little girls and what was actually happening and also uh, uh, becoming brides at very young age and some of these girls hadn't even hit puberty. So it was one of those trips. I headed there and I, the darkness and the oppression and the beating down and finally I was just actually, that's one of the reasons I'm ring, wearing this ring. So some people are wondering why you're wearing the different stuff. All of it has a purpose but this ring is from a young a guy named Hassan. He's actually right behind here on this picture. But uh, I, I was sitting with him. I was talking about why is it that these girls cannot go to school? And they said, well, in our tradition, they don't go to school. And, but I say, it's not against Islam. And so we just ended up in this beautiful discussion. And so I got a, a group of young leaders. I said, hey. And I started actually, another way it is in a covert revival is start to dream with Papa God. What would it look like? Because, wow, because the way you do it in a prophetic sense is these girls are very valuable. These girls are amazing. They are the daughters of Papa God. I don't say it that way, but you are planting certain seeds. So the next moment after we've had this three-hour thing together, Hassan and Hussein said, we need to have a meeting with you. And I said, yes, that would be nice. That's one of them. They gave me this ring and he said, what do you think? Do you think it would be possible if we start a school for girls, Muslim girls? <laughs> And I said, I said, yes, I think that would be a great idea. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Wow. And, and what else do you guys think? And they start to dream with God. So they're certainly, so they were starting to describe all of these things. What would it look like if girls are not being oppressed or that they are getting educated and they are not being abused? Or what would it look like actually that they are being honored in their homes? Or what would this, I mean, we're just starting to dream. So I brought a group of imams together. We started to dream. And six years later, we came there. Let's look at the next picture. Uh, you will love when you see the videos. But anyway, so... The atmosphere had changed in the whole region and area. And to see, we had actually this room, graduation of the girls. And I got to share Jesus to the graduation with all of those girls. Bless the blessing in the name of Jesus. Wow, the Prince of Peace and was able to represent. I love this picture because it goes all the way back 22 years. I've had a dream of meeting with the Pashtun leadership. If you're not familiar with the Pashtun, but the Taliban is primary, they're made of Pashtun. These are from Afghanistan, leaders, elders, or tribal leaders. And in 1999, I was just thinking about on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan, the Pashtun. They've been burning for 22 some years. So I've been praying for them and everything else. And here I had the opportunity to sit down with some of the tribal leaders of the Pashtun leaders. And again, to be able to represent Jesus there. And we were sitting there together, praying over them. And then also on behalf of you and other ones, we were able to getting into a refugee camp. It was horrific. Uh, but, but Joe, we were there on the border and watching when they were trying to come in. Thousands of children or people in wheelchair trying to come into Pakistan. And we stood there on the border and then uh, the Taliban is just standing 10 yards away there with their guns. And we are standing right there on the side watching this thing taking place. But I knew we have to meet with the leadership. Uh, let's just look at a couple of more pictures, but we ended up giving about 4,500 kilos, which is about 9,000 pounds of food. Here's another picture. This is the chairman of the Shia political party. Uh, Shia is the Iranian group. 
So if you're familiar, you have the Sunnah Muslim and the Shia. You have the Saudi, and then you have Iraq and Iran and Syria, Bahrain and Yemen and some of those other ones. And he is the chairman of the political party. So he and we've been actually also friends for just about 24 years of relationship behind this. But invite us to come to his headquarters, and I just want to share this with our family. I don't know if we have the pictures or any of the videos, but later on we will show you. But what ended up it was one of those nervous moments for me. I was sitting there with the Shia Muslim leaders, and all these clergies are sitting in the room. Joe is there with me. And in a moment, I just got this thought, somebody here has a shoulder two years ago, and they had surgery. And as a result, the surgery went bad, and the person cannot move their shoulder. I mean, in our streams, that's normal. Because you have a word of knowledge. But what do you do here? Because first of all, Allah doesn't speak any longer. And the second problem I have is Muhammad was the last prophet. So if you start to prophesy, you're saying that Muhammad was not the last prophet, you're going to get killed. I mean, so, so there's a little complication in just sharing a word of knowledge. <laughs> So I'm like, well, what do I do? But I felt again this impression. So I'm sitting there and the Shia Muslim leadership, the clergy are sitting around and they're pretty strict in this place and in this setting. And Joe and I are sitting there and finally I'm trying in a nice way to say, excuse me and just uh, want to just honor you. But I just, uh, I know this maybe sounds strange, but did one of you have surgery two years ago with a shoulder and, 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 and that shoulder didn't get healed or you cannot move that shoulder? Didn't mention any God or anything. And nobody erased it. And nobody said a word. They just stared at me. <laughs> then I seen this one guy with a beard. I think we have the picture of him. Uh, then we have this one guy with a beard. And, and this guy with a beard, one of the key prominent political leaders. I just looked at him. I said, excuse me, but did you have a... So now it kind of became personal. Did you have a surgery <laughs> two years ago? And you cannot move your shoulder. And he was kind of looking at me, and he stared at me in this kind of a weird way. He looked around in the room at the other political leaders, like, is this legal? <laughs> and he nodded his head, and he said, yes, he did. And at the next moment, what is taking place is that I said, watch now. In the name of Jesus Christ, watch what's happening. In the name of Jesus Christ, lift that shoulder right now. We have it on video somewhere. But they lifted his shoulder, and he got gloriously healed in the front of the Shia Muslim. <laughs> And the reason I'm going public here, normally I will never even speak about this public, but it ended up on the news. And it's in it's, it's newspapers, it's everywhere. It's like this news is going out. So again, I'm trying to be covert and hide, but I can't hide. I mean, I'm going online, I'm seeing all over the place, all these things that is taking place. It's like, and, uh, but anyway, in the next moment, every single person is called, called a gift of faith. The gift of faith, when it operates, it will always happen because it is God. There's one thing to have faith in God. There's the other thing is when you have the faith of God. And the, the difference here, this is not my faith. It is a total grace thing that when God gives this grace called the gift of faith. That is certainly now, it is God saying, this is what I'm going to do. And at that moment for you, it is a step of obedience just to release what God is saying. But for the next two days, every single person that prayed for God healed, 100%. Wow. Even including the Shia Muslim leader's niece was 80% better afterwards. So this just started to spread into the mosque. Everywhere we went, started to pray. And this boldness, this freedom just started to come. And it was just grace that started to flowing into it. And the atmosphere changed. I can't remember, did we have any other pictures? And then I will start my sermon. You can see it's very difficult. Okay, I think we're going to stop there. Let's just give Jesus a good hand. I, 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 have to, I have to tell a couple of more, like a couple of more testimonies, uh, sorry. Another, this is one of the investment we as a church did. One of the things I've done as a Christian for years, and it's part of our family tradition, pretty much since our kids were young, uh, the biggest, the greatest gift each year we give to Jesus. We love to give gifts to each other, but say if Leif Emanuel wanted a Nintendo or Lila Ann had something or Courtney or Catherine, if there's something they wanted, I want to make sure in my savings account and whatever we decided to give, and we love to give in our family, that the biggest gift is given to Jesus. And sometimes that was for some poor people or water, maybe one time for Irish ministers. So it was different things each year that, because I asked Jesus what he wanted. 
And this time, while I was here in the services when I got it, while I was here in this service, I want you to throw me a big party in the Middle East. <laughs> so on November 24th, it was actually the day before thanks, no, excuse me, it was on November the 30th. The President Award was November 24th. On November 30th, what we did is we got a similar setting like this, this huge place where here we had the Sunnah Muslim leaders, the Shia Muslim leader, we had a top Sikh, we had a top Hindu, we had the top leaders of all the religion, and then we had the governmental leaders, they were coming in with all the security forces representing everyone, the government. Then we had also, as I say, some of the business leaders and I mean, who is who? And then we had the Bollywood star. They are the big, we had the movie stars, of course. There was like the number two and number three singer in the whole Hindi and Urdu speaking world. One of them had like 25 million followers. And I'm like, I didn't know who these people were. But, but you could see the people were like, but here we had also the poor. There we had the persecuted church. All of us coming together in this extravagant place where all the royalty was there. And then we started this incredible party. It lasted, Joe, I think it was about six hours or something the party lasted. So it was a long, long time here. So in one moment, you maybe had one of the famous Bollywood stars singing. And, and the whole place is like, wow, this is like Justin Bieber kind of a thing. <laughs> And then right afterwards, we had one of our worship leaders just started to bring them into the presence as into the glory and worshiping. And these people almost getting like a whiplash. What's going on here? <laughs> and then what we decided to do is we're going to give them the award, similar like I got an award from the president. So we made it an awards for all of them. And it's just another covert way of doing prophecy. <laughs> that means when you look at the terrorist Saul, you give him the Apostle Paul award. Love is patient, love is kind, love is... Before they have become it, you release. This is who you are. This is how heaven sees you. So we had the Bollywood stars. We had the granny moms. We had the Shia Muslim leaders. We had the Hindu leaders. We had all of those different people. And we had these big awards. With each one of them, we brought them up on the stage. And in another way, you're prophesying over people, their destiny over their life. And, then, and I prayed. So I got to release this award for each one of those people. And between that, Job was there with me. It was just this extravagant thing that was taking place. And then the end of the, end of the night, it was just, again, I said to us, like, there's something missing still. We've had a, it was so extravagant what Jesus said. Everybody got fed. We had a huge cake. And even the granny moms and all these Muslim moms with their hands, they were feeding me with a cake. I fed them, just showing unity and solidarity. All these extravagant things. And then the end, before the evening was over, I just, I had five minutes to kind of finish these things. What am I going to say? And, I, and again, I said, I just want to remind every one of you that are here that the reason we are here is because of Jesus. And I want to remind you that, first of all, Jesus changed my life. That's one of the reasons I'm coming to Pakistan and that I love you. Because of the way that he has loved me. The reason that I'm here is to be able to celebrate at Jesus. And Jesus, he is alive. Jesus, he is here right now. And if you are sick right now, I want you to put your hand on your body all over this place right now. So here we have Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists, your government official, other people in this room, put your hand on your body right now because Jesus, he is here and he wants to heal you because he is coming here with good news for you. And then started to pray. Over 80 people got healed. I am putting that together just as a framework. I, I could stand here for hours and I know I have Kaylee and Paul Yen and some of our team is in the back there. We've just been looking at the video and I I've been in shock, to be honest with you. I sat for hours and hours, night after night, and that's part of two, two weeks without sleep. And not, I still have some issues, so pray for me. The first was a respiratory infection, then a stomach infection, and then I've been being tested for all kinds of things. The good news is I don't have COVID. I've been tested five times in a week. <laughs> so don't be afraid when I hug you. But the bad news is that uh, I'm still uh, some weak and have some issues health-wise, still limping, but I'm limping with a smile, with gratitude, with an overwhelmingness to be able to be born for such a time as this. Can we just open up our Bible and uh, we're going to look at some scripture verses. And if you have patience, we will. Uh, I do have it written down here. I've already memorized it, Justin. So. So some of you have your Bibles with you, the ones that have memorized it, just wave to me and uh, 
and the rest of you maybe have it on the phone. Just remember on the phone it is not inerrant and infallible. That's just a Norwegian joke. Uh, let's open up to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And I know it is a famous Christmas passage, but I feel there's something prophetic that I want to release over our family at Battle Atlanta this morning. I feel this is a picture and it's going to be a pattern for us for the years to come. I believe this word here is going to also have a connection. It's going to, somehow it's like the different pieces in the puzzle is going to give us the picture in regard to seeing how each piece fits into the puzzle. And I'm saying that just in regard to, uh, let me give you the background, about 700 years before Christ is when Isaiah prophesied this. I don't want to go into the detail, but many of you have heard me preach Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, as I mentioned, I just talked to Chris Vallotton, and then uh, yesterday I talked, we did another interview with a guy named Jeremy Johnson, but it was quite a few of the prophets that I've talked in the last few weeks, because a lot of the prophets prophesied wrong. That doesn't mean they're false prophets, but they prophesied wrong. And we have to honor and we need to humble ourselves when we do something wrong is to recognize that and go public. The same as if I was wrong, if I had a word of knowledge, it was not God. Then I tell them that was flesh. It is just me learning how to do something. It is just learning that we are honorable and that we are honest in what we are doing. And I was saying that in regard to... So we were looking into some of the prophecies, and Isaiah himself was a prophet. It was not that he did not have zeal as a prophet. He was prophesying clearly when the king Uzziah was king, and he was prophesying that something was happening. The king Uzziah died. We know the story in Isaiah 6. I don't want to go in there, but when the king Uzziah died, that means the president or the king or the leader that he trusted in. When Uzziah was in control, everything was well, but what happened is pride came into that king, and what pride came into that king. Leprosy came in. But Isaiah, who was in alignment with that king, continued to prophesy, even when there is pride, what God resists the proud and only give grace to the humble. So when we start to embrace something where there is pride and God resisted, something starts to happen. Because grace only flows where there is humility. So what was happening with Isaiah continued to prophesy, but when the king Uzziah died, he had a crisis moment. That's when he saw him. And that's when he could see him. And he saw him high and lifted up, seated on the throne. Suddenly he got the right position about where God is in America, where God is today. God is on the throne. He's large and in charge. He's ruling and reigning. What we are watching down here is not really what is taking place. God is large and he is in charge and he is seated on the throne. And when he saw him seated on the throne, he suddenly recognized who God was, but also who he is and who he is not. And I do not have the chance to go into this, but it was this paradigm shift for this prophet that ended up when he got so overwhelmed with these angels, these seraphims, when they were just because from the throne room, when you were watching was this back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But the train of his robe filled the temple with a glory. And this train, and this train is about to be filled with glory. Before then, Isaiah was prophesying gory and darkness and it's bad and you are bad. Here's the good group, the political group, and this is the bad one. Here's the masked people that are non-masked people or the vaccine or non-vaccine. That's how he had operated before. Let me just be honest. But after this encounter with God, everything changes when you have seen him. He saw him and he realized that's not actually the problem. I am the problem. We don't have a darkness problem. We have a lack of light. I am the one with unclean lips, and I live among the people. They are not the problem. Darkness is no problem. So something is happening, and he has this encounter. It becomes a paradigm shift that happens. He has an encounter with God, and then as a result, this angel takes the fire on his lips, and his lips starts to burn. First, it is a cleansing. It's a purification. But the second of all, there's a new zeal and a new passion that is coming from his lips. But when his lips gets on fire, his ears open up, and he hears the conversation in heaven talking. He hear the Father, Son, Spirit. How do we know? Who can we send and who will go for us? Say us. Yes. Meaning the family of heaven. Who will represent family of heaven on earth? 
And that's when Isaiah steps in and says, here am I, send me. Can I represent you? Can I represent the family? But now his lips are on fire. His ears can now hear what heaven has to say about things. He no longer sees the gore because he says the whole earth is filled with glory. When you see things from heaven's earth, peace, tree, city, Tyrone, Atlantis full of glory. That's when you see things from heaven's view. And sometimes we just have to adjust our perspective. The reason I'm bringing that up now when we look at it is Christmas passage in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9. Is, this is after his paradigm shift. At this moment, he's seeing things from heaven's perspective. And then God gives him the future of the things to come. So let's just read at this for a few moments. Whew, I feel this fire. I hope you don't mind a little passion this morning. I'm a little weak in my flesh, but I sense there's something burning for us right now. For unto us a child is born. Say that with me. Unto us a son is given. Say a son is given. And the government, the kingdom of God, shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. It is upon the throne, say that with me, say upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and to establish it with judgment and justice from there, from that time forward and forever. And the seal, say, and the seal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Who will perform this? The zeal of the Lord of the host is going to perform this. Let me just try to give us then the outline and the framework, and I'm going to try to be disciplined and focused. Until us a child is born. Until us a child is born. God came in a manger. God became flesh. God, so at the starting point, I hope if you're not here that you're going to leave this place, that you're going to be born again today. That you're going to experiencing the, the new birth. This is what this is talking about. Until us, a child is born. And this is the first aspect for all of us. It's this, the first stage of this whole process. It is the born again experiencing. Until us, a child is born. But it is not upon a child is born that there's going to be government. It's not the born again experience in it itself that is going to give inheritance. It is not in Bethlehem that we're going to learn how to rule and reign from. It is from Zion. And part of what I want us to do now is just to take us a little bit through a process. There's a process with Jesus. And Jesus is an example for us. 1 Peter 2.21 for us to follow in his footsteps. There's a typology that we are seeing here with Jesus. There's something that God is showing. He's 100% God. And at the same time period, he's 100% man. And he never gave up his divinity. And I know there's been some tension. We call it a kenosis or this self-emptying. But what did he empty himself of? And I do not have the chance to go in here. But it's important for us there in orthodoxy that it is the same one that you changed the diaper in Bethlehem. It's the same that is holding the whole universe together with his word at the same time period. And in you there is humanity, but there is also divinity, but that doesn't mean you are God. And it is not here to correct theology, but I do feel it is important for us to experience it until us a child is born. But the next thing that is coming in, and that is a son is given. Say son is given. So Jesus, you see him as an example. He started out in Bethlehem. David started out in Bethlehem. You and I start out in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the stage in our life where we learn to be faithful in the natural. Say natural. And in our battle culture, and I'm part of it, I take responsibility. And I've had some great conversations both with Bill and Chris and many of our friends lately. But I think that one of the weaknesses that we have done in our culture is we have talked so much about Zion ruling and reigning without first helping people through the processes. 
because there is a process to go from a child that's born until the government. There's sometimes a process to go from being a shepherd boy to become a king. There's sometimes there's a process from being a dreamer to moving into destiny to becoming a father to Pharaoh. There's something process even for God himself in his fullness and his glory that starts in a manger as a little baby that grows. And then eventually there's only a few places in scripture at the age of 12, he could have started revival. He could have started a move that we waited for. He's been a battle school of supernatural ministry for 12 years. Uh, he is ready. He's there in the temple and the family are there in the temple and the wisdom that is showing up in this temple. The environment is changing. And it is like, a, who is this young man? Mom and Papa, they left this 12-year-old boy and they were heading home and it's like, but revival has broken loose in the temple. And then Mom and Papa's like, where's our boy? And they, they realize, oh, we need to go and find a 12-year-old and I can see the pictures like, hey... And Jesus, but shouldn't I have to be there with my father's business, in my father's house? I mean, but for the, what, what happened in the next 18 years, the scripture does not say. I can tell you what happened for the next 18 years. Because until we learn how to be faithful in the natural, we cannot be faithful in the supernatural. Until you establish the right foundation in Bethlehem, what is going to happen? There's crack in that foundation. And if we don't have that foundation in this season and the shaking starts, the things that can be shook will be shaken. But the purpose of the shaking is so that the things that is unshakable will stand. And he's bringing us back to Bethlehem foundation that is unshakable, a born-again experience. I'm born of water and the Spirit. I'm the Son. Until us a child is born, but Son is given. And this is the whole key. It is the given sons and daughters. Creation is moaning and groaning for the manifestations of the sons and daughters. So for Jesus, this was not before he was 30 years old that he went from being a child to becoming a son. In the sense of mature son. And you saw that was actually happening where there was a water baptism taking place. John, who was actually a forerunner with a forerunner anointing, who came to prepare the preparers for the preparation of what is to come. He was there to make a way. And then eventually when Jesus is coming in, he baptized him in water. Heaven opened up and the dove came down. Not to visit, but to stay. We are looking for visitation of the dove because we don't know how to have habitation. Let me say that one more time. We are often looking for the dove to come and visit us in a special meeting, special service, and then we live with pigeons the rest of the week. <laughs> and pigeon religion is different than when the dove is there. But Jesus, from he was 12 to he was 30, what he did, Lauren, he washed his father's hand. He placed himself under the subject of submission underneath his mama and papa's vision. He could have started revival at the age of 12. But instead he's coming in and he learned to be an apprentice, learned to be a carpenter. And he's learning the skill set of his father. And eventually the Greek word that is used to describe him as a carpenter, he became a master craftsman. Meaning he mastered the crafts of his father's art. And by the time he is third, his mama and papa is about to give him the family business. And that's when heaven opens up and the father is ready to give him his business. You have to see the timing in this. Until us, a child is born and we are going in. We have a born again experience. Let's go to Zion. Until us, a child is born, but son is given. This is my, this is my beloved. This is my beloved son. Whom? I am well pleased. A son and a daughter with a dove led into the well wilderness. So let us test. Have you been to Bethlehem? Let us test the foundation. Let us test your sonship. If you are a son, do something. Turn this water into bread. Turn this rock into bread. If you are a son, do something. Because if you can do something, you can have something. You can become something. Welcome to the orphan world. But the orphan spirit is in control. But instead, what was happening, 
He knew who he was. He knew whose he was. For the last 18 years, I didn't have my own agenda. I laid out my agenda. I've been there serving my dad. I was not interested in a family business. I was focusing on one simple thing. First of all, I had a child. I was born, and my mama is married. God is my father. That's why he's 100% man and 100% God. But for the last 18 years, what I've done is I've been there with my dad and I've learned a craftsmanship. I'm not focusing on my ministry. I've been focusing on sonship because if you have sonship before apostleship or leadership, you don't have shipwrecks. <laughs> and the reason we don't have many fathers and mothers in our movement is because very few of us have been willing to be sons and daughters. And sons and daughters becomes fathers and mothers. And if we've been healthy sons and daughters, we will raise up healthy fathers and mothers. And we will have healthy grandmas and grandpas. I almost feel like preaching this morning. I just... So here we're seeing that. So that's when it started. He was tested in three different ways. And then as a son, all I do is what I see my father do. All I say is all I hear my father say. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he quotes Isaiah. And he has anointed me. In the middle of the bad news, I got good news. In the middle of sadness, I got gladness. And he started to change the world. A son with his father unto us. And this is the first stage. And we do want everyone to be born again born of water and the spirit. We want every one of us to experience to say, yes, I'm a child of God. But then we want us to move from being orphans to become sons and daughters and moving into maturity as sons and daughters. So that he says, I no longer call you my servant, I call you my friend. But we learn how to co-labor together with him. So the next piece here is the father commissioned Jesus with a divine assignment. The son best represents the father to the world. Jesus represented his father. And the people in the world around him got to know who his father was by the way that he lived his sonship. So here's the second part is this has to do with the son is given. Say the son is given. So my heart for all of us, first of all, is for everyone in the Bethel family that we're going to bring us into. There should be a way where everybody knows that they know that they know that you've been born again. That the divine change has taken place. But the second part of my journey is that you will take a trip to a place called Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, where David was born, where David started. Learning to build a foundation on a place called Bethlehem, the house of bread, where you will learn how to grow in wisdom and stature and have favor with God and favor with men. That you will learn in that season to use your harp and learning how to be a worshiper, but will you also learn how to be a warrior? And find your sling. A season in Bethlehem where you will be willing to take care of your father's sheep. Even if you're called to be a king. He was anointed as a king. And instead as a shepherd boy, he's out. And at one moment, somebody's trying to kill one of those little lambs. And David is willing to give his life to save that lamb. Why is he willing to do that? Because he had a lamb's heart. And we are raising up a prophetic people. We're training a whole group of people to be lions without lamb's hearts. So when we roar people, they scatter, not gather. Because it doesn't come from the place of love. Jesus is the lamb of God, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And inside you there is a lamb, but there's also a lion. But the identity is in the lamb and the authority is in the lion. And you only have authority where you love. The next thing here, he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. Say Wonderful Counselor. In a few moments, I do know you're picking up the children. Maybe we'll go 15 minutes over today, but just bring the children in. It's okay, but I feel I want us to see this process. Wonderful Counselor. Jesus, the Word of God, became flesh, and he dwells among us. He who is wiser than Solomon, who is altogether lovely, who knows everything about everything. He went from a born-again experiencing into sonship, a given son, to become a wonderful, wonderful counselor. And I think that this is also the relation we're going to have with the Holy Spirit who's called the wonderful counselor and starting to operate and to be able to represent both the love and the power and the wisdom of heaven on earth as sons and daughters. He is going to be called wonderful counselor. He's going to be mighty God, meaning now we're moving into the signs, wonders, and miracles that follows the ones that believe. Yeah. 
The danger is we're starting out with out Bethlehem. And we want to teach people how to behave in Zion. So we, we, we want people to stand before the kings. Like somebody says, could you bring me before the president of Pakistan? Or bring me before the Sunnah Muslim leaders that says, do you know how to play the harp? And they're looking at me strange. I said, what do you mean? I said, do you know how to change the environment? Because if you don't have this environment changed, you cannot change this environment. So who are you when nobody is looking? Because who you are in the secret will be revealed in the open. Because when you get squeezed, what's in you comes out. A few more things. Mighty God. Here you see the signs, wonders, and miracles. And then the everlasting Father. The everlasting Father. So here you have one. What did he focus on? A child that became a son. Wonderful counselor. Wow, mighty God, everlasting fathers, sons and daughters that becomes fathers and mothers. And moving in now, raising up other people. But eventually the last two things, I'm just putting, oh, cramping something together here. I just felt that the framework for us in this season is going to be important. Life happens, slow down. Don't worry about the clock for a few moments. <sighs> then the interesting talk, he talked about the David. Where does this fit? It is upon David, the throne of David. Using Isaiah the prophet is prophesizing this whole kingdom thing we are talking about. It is actually the model is David himself is going to be the model for how that's going to look like. And that the seal, which is actually another word for jealousy and the passion of the Lord is what's actually going to, the burning ones is what's going to, this is going to happen. God is responsible. This is going to happen. It is like a jealous lover that knows exactly how his bride looks like. And this is this bridal paradigm. He's preparing his beautiful, pure bride. So let me just put it into perspective. Say Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Learning to be faithful in the natural. Say natural. Say Adullam. That's learning to be faithful in the middle of your needs. David had seven and a half years in a cave. Some of us, we've been in an adullam season. Some of you have been in a pit, and some have been in a pit for 40 years, and you're pitiful. And we heard the difference between the well and... Because you don't have... The purpose was 40 days in the pit, not 40 years. Because you can become bitter or better. You're not responsible what happens to you. You're responsible how you respond to it. So here you have first Bethlehem, then Adullam, David, not because of his sin. Not that he, I have reaped a lot of things that I sowed. But there is a harvest that is greater than that is when you start to reap what Jesus has sown. And it's called grace. So don't forget that harvest. But Adullam is the season where David in his greatest need, and I feel this is where we've been at as a church. Now it's the more the prophetic part of a Papa speaking. We've been in a season, been in Adullam. And it was a seven and a half years season in Adullam. People were coming and people were going. The reason they were coming is because they had needs. But while we have been here with our greatest needs, God has given us all these people with needs. It's called Adullam. Adullam means justice of the people. Adullam is the very place. This is the very environment where God is restoring the identity. Say identity. Then the second of all, value, value. Say value. And the third one is dreams. Say dreams. Uh, those are the three things as part of the things that God has done for us in this season. And the change that is about to take place in the next six months is that we are moving from Adullam to Hebron. Say Hebron. Adullam is still convenient relationship, but Hebron is covenant relationship. In the Dulem, you're still coming to see what you can get, but in Hebron, you're coming to see what can I give. In the Dulem, you see what you do not have, but in Hebron, you do know what you have. I got a jawbone. What do you have? And now you're selling from a man after God's own heart. You have created a culture after God's own heart. The better family is not about a big church, it's about big people. 
And God is raising up some big people, which is ordinary sons and daughters, that started out in Bethlehem to play a harp, to practice a sling, to take care of lamb and sheep, lay down lovers, learning from the lambs before we want to be a lion. Our focus was not to be worship leaders, to be... It was actually just, it is this one thing I desire. It is one thing I long for. I just want to dwell in the presence of the Lord. I just want to gaze upon his beauty. My agenda is not to stand before the presidents and kings and get the rewards. My identity is I just want to go back to Bethlehem and drink from that pure water of Bethlehem that was near the gate. And if there's one area, so pray for me in this season. I've been polluted. I've been at war for so long. I have scars. I have hurt. I've hurt the people that is around me. We are hurting. We've been at war for so long. We've been fighting bears and lions and giants and souls. We've been on a long journey. We've been at war towards Zion. But we're still standing. And maybe have some scars. But they are a trophy of His grace. But we're still standing. But we're moving from the Dolom to become Hebron. And we're becoming a family a covenant family, and the 400 that become 600 will set the establishment for Zion. And that's when the verse that you have, Romans 5, 17, the ruling and reigning comes from. It was not from the Dulam. So there's a seven and a half year season we're going to learn Hebron before we go to Zion. That doesn't mean that we will not be able to minister and Change atmosphere and environment. But our focus, if you feel a little overwhelmed by going to Zion, go always back to Bethlehem. Just go back to the childlikeness. Go back to the innocence. Go back before you became an author or a giant slayer or a prophet or somebody. Be the little boy Leif with a big, big papa. Go back again to drink from that pure water of Bethlehem that is near the gate. That's your safety on your journey towards your destiny. But there's a seal that God has over this family. We're on a journey from Bethlehem. Say Bethlehem. Faithful in the natural. Adullam. Faithful in the middle of your needs. Hebron. Faithful in relationships. Zion. Faithful in ruling and reigning. And yes, there's Ziglak. What do you do during the worst day of your life? And yes, there's other things between. But this is the overall overview of a training for reigning program for a kingdom family of families that is going to bless cities and nations, that is going to live and love in such a way that we will make it hard for people to go to hell. And we will make it easy for people to go to heaven because they will have an encounter with a God like Jesus. When we're raising up a whole new generation that knows Bethlehem. They are not afraid of the cave and they shouldn't have the same scars that we have. I'm so glad that my three daughters just don't have the same scars that I have. And the ceiling of one generation becomes the floor to the next generation. Until lost a child is born, born again. Sons are given. Wonderful counselor. Increase of government and peace is up on the shoulder of given sons and daughters. That's where you rest. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. This is learning how to walk with him and to walk in the spirit. And when we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of our flesh. Can we stand to our feet? Am I overwhelming you guys? I, I just, I know it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. I just wanted to say, practically speaking, as part of the journey, global mission awareness, and you are part of us and we are part of you. We are a family, our families on mission. We just graduated 270 people that just did a master class. And this is part of our master class. I want you just to dream with me for one second. My journey is to eventually raising up 
10,000 people like David's, like Joseph's, Esther's, Nehemiah's that has gone through this training for reigning. So we're taking people through first a 12-week masterclass, which is actually a Bethlehem school where we're teaching people actually the blueprint for kingdom identity. Then in the fall of next year, we start a blueprint for kingdom destiny, finding from heaven towards earth your special sauce, your uniqueness. Then there's going to be the blueprint for kingdom glory, learning how to do glory management. And so we are doing again, we just finished 270, and even at 3 o'clock this morning, an emergency doctor, Joseph, sent me, but I got that, uh, just the transformation that has happened in his life. In his marriage and in his family, just that one life was worth it. But the stories after story, it's not just a teaching. It's not just small groups online. This is not instead of the school of, of ministry, because I encourage you, be part of a school of ministry. It's just something you can do on the side and add value to that. But even for some of you who do not have that chance, all we are providing is a tool. But it is also encounters every week from around the world where we have encounters together. So it is taking people through this journey. It's a master class. And there was a sweet lady, and she kind of adopted me as a mama. And where are you today? And just waved the lady. There you are, yeah. She went to school. What is your name again? Janice, yeah. Janice just came up and gave me mama as her girl. And she went to the school and was sharing the difference. So I'm just making that as available for you so that you, if you want during your practice, you can do it your own time. We are live, but you can also go through these both videos, session, yourself, whenever that fits in. A lot of the school of ministries now are just using it with their students as a thing to supplement, bringing uh, the identity part in as part of their journey. And the second of all, I also have a, and we have a special discount for that if you want to sign up. But I also have a new book coming out that is actually, there's no doubt about it, it's definitely my favorite book. It will not be out before April, but I got 1,500 copies from the publishing house today, and it's right before Christmas. So it's called The Love Awakening. So if you want to be part of this next Agape Reformation that is coming, this new Love Awakening, this is a good, uh, before this book comes out, to starts to taste of it so that you can see how good he is. Let's just hold out our hands. Holy, 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 holy. For some of you are just sensing, you just need a fresh encounter with the Prince of Peace right now. The Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Wholeness, Completeness. I just speak... Shalom to your mind right now in the name of Jesus. Just had this Muslim woman just got healed from bipolar. And eight years of bipolar and she just totally healed. Just, just happened. And I'm just sensing even right now some of you that have had that anxiety and just your mind is just racing. Shalom in the name of Jesus. I also speak to that rotator cuff on the right side to be healed right now in the name of of Jesus. I also releasing any fear for the future because I'm sensing what we have done is we feel all this pressure of how we're going to get to Zion and how this is going to look. And, and so many of us have forgotten about going back again to Bethlehem and just have fun again. When did it stop being fun? I've been at war for so long I forgot about just being a little boy playing a harp. Not because you're going to stand before a king. I've been practicing my sling for so long and going after giant for so long, forgotten how it is just to throw the sling, not because there is an agenda in it, but because it is fun. And I'm just sensing that he wants to restore the joy of our salvation. And he's saying, rejoice again. Re-enjoice again. So there's healing in his peace. There's also healing in his joy. And Father, we just... Uh, we honor your presence here among. This is your family. First of all, we celebrate for all of us the born again experience. Thank you, Jesus, what you did. We celebrate you. We thank you also for the gift of sonship and daughtership, given sons and daughters. We thank you, Father, for the supernatural wisdom, wonderful counselor, 
We thank you also for signs, wonders, and miracles that is going to follow the ones, the mighty God part of us. Father, oh, let us be entrusted with greater mighty God deeds as we continue to grow in maturity. And at this very moment, I'm just hearing whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Be free in the name of Jesus. Congratulations, your upgrade is confirmed. Congratulations, your upgrade is confirmed. So Father, I just release an apostolic, I release just a blessing over this family. And I ask that the very immune system of heaven, the immune system is going to flow in such a way that, that automatically when one of us are struggling, all of us are sensing the struggle and life will starts to flow. Automatically when the enemy attacks one of us, he attacks all of us because we are family. I thank you for the new season of Hebron that you will renew our minds, that we will not think cave mentality any longer, but that we will recognize that there's been this shift taking place. We're in a new season, we're in a new time, and we have moved away from uh, Adullam and we are in Hebron. And I thank you, Hebron is an unshakable place. So I just bless you, and I bless your family. I bless this Christmas season, and I bless you with a life and life more abundantly that Jesus came to give. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.